there are a number of books in the New Testament that their purpose is to reason from a doctrinal treatise. The book of Romans is perhaps one of the most doctrinal books that one will encounter. There are other letters that are in the New Testament that were written to deal with everyday issues and everyday problems. The books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians address those kinds of issues where the church was struggling in various ways. That does not mean that doctrinal books do not have a practical aspect, nor does it mean that those that emphasize practical needs do not have a doctrinal aspect. But I suggest to you there are some other books that reflect even a third type perspective, and that is of attitudes. The book of Philippians, in my judgment, reflects a book that was written to reflect a need for a good, positive attitude in serving God. I'm so thankful that Brother Steve referenced that in his prayer this morning. We do need to have wonderful attitudes. We do need to appreciate God, and we need to appreciate being a Christian. I want to begin our study this morning with the asking of a question. What would make you happy today? I want you to think in your mind, what kind of things would it take for you to be a real happy person? I would dare say most of us would say, if I was given great wealth, I could buy anything that I wanted to buy, and I could do whatever I wanted to do with that money, then I think I could really be happy. Many people who have received that kind of money have found themselves not as happy as they thought they would be. If you were given great acclaim, there are a number of sports figures that are reveling in acclaim today. There are others who are music stars, movie stars. They have people who will line up to want to congratulate them on doing such a great job and they're basking in the glory. If you could have that kind of acclaim, would you be happy? Would that make your life full and meaningful? I had to add this third one. If you got your way in everything. I'm talking about every decision in life, from what kind of car you would buy to what color of paint would be on the walls to every decision in life. If you got your own way, would that really make you happy? There's a reason for asking these questions. The inexpressible joy that Paul describes, that Paul refers to, includes or involves None of these. In fact, real joy comes from knowing Jesus and all that that brings. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture to lay the groundwork. Jesus said in John 16 and verse 22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. It's a kind of joy that you can't lose. You get money, you know what can happen to that money? It can disappear. You can have the fame and the glory from men, and all of a sudden that 
fame and glory will pass to another. You may get your way today, but tomorrow you might not. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, listen as Peter describes this. In this you greatly rejoice, though if now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom not having seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing. Now, clearly here he says, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, joy inexpressible. Or if we go to this book, which we're studying, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is trying to focus the Philippians toward this view of joy and happiness. There are times when you and I need to be told you should be, you are happy because you know the Lord and because you are a Christian. It's really all about value. And if you will open your Bibles to first or, or Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin with verse 1. And we're going to study through down about verse 7 or 8. And we're going to study about these things. The value of continuous teaching. The value of circumcision. And then finally, the value of Christ. And Paul is going to tie these three things together. Let's look at verse 1 again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now I have been in preparing these lessons trying to notice each and every word. I will tell you it sort of finds me striking to get to the middle of the book and then Paul says, finally. Of course, preachers do that all the time. Uh, we say, finally, and then there's still 10, 15 more minutes later. But this is in the middle of the book. Paul's just halfway through. But there's a reason why. His final major point is that of rejoicing. In fact, everything that's going to follow is either going to relate to that in some kind of way. That's a message that needs to be heard. Joy in the Lord is a repetitive message throughout the book of Philippians. It's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 2, it's in chapter 3, it's in chapter 4, more than once. You read that with the word joy or rejoice 
And you'll find it everywhere. And then he's going to emphasize continuous teaching. Repetitive teaching is valuable. I want you to listen as Peter addresses what he was doing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Now stop there for just a moment. When you think about Peter's message is, he says, I want to remind you. I'm not going to be negligent to remind you. But he says, you already know it. You're established in the present truth. The role of a gospel preacher is not to preach new things. The role of a gospel preacher is to establish people in the present truth and then to constantly remind people of that truth. He says, yes, I think it right as long as I am in this tent, this body is what he's saying, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that I shortly must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now listen to verse 15. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter says, after I die, I want you to still remember these things. Do you see the value of this repetitive, continuous teaching? In 2 Peter 3, 1, he goes on to say, Beloved, I now write this second epistle in both of which to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. I want you to remember these things over and over again. You say, I think I've heard that lesson the preacher is preaching. Well, that's a good thing because that is a reminder of these things. And I think God has given us throughout his word a number of things that are there for reminders. Go to the Old Testament. Think about the Day of Atonement. What was that day for? Yes, it was a day in which one was made right with God again. But the writer of the book of Hebrews says that it was a remembrance of those sins once a year. Once a year it was brought to your attention. My sins aren't forgiven. We sometimes call them being rolled forward. The reality is it was a reminder of them. I am still a sinner. Come to the New Testament. Each and every Lord's Day we assemble together and we partake of the bread, we partake of the fruit of the vine. Why? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder of every week that Jesus died for us. There's value in continuous teaching. Continuous teaching, Paul said, is not tedious, but it, for you it's safe. Now, the reason why it's safe is because we as a people tend to forget things. Unless someone continues to remind us, let me ask some of you older ones a question. How many of you remember algebra? And people are still trying to find out what X is. Can you imagine having to go back now and work some of those long problems? Most of us would say, I couldn't do that now. My children, my grandchildren bring home these papers and I don't understand. 
You see, we forget if we don't have that constant reminder of, of going through it. Listen to Judges 3, verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. You see, there's the influence of sin coming in. And what happens? People forget God. You go to Jeremiah 23, verse 27. He's talking about these false prophets and false teachers, and he says, They try to make my people to forget my name by their dreams and by which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. People are still trying to do that. Do you realize today people would just as soon religion disappear from public society? I think there's a push in underhand to try to make us a more secular society. In 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15, Paul says, Remind them of these things, charging them therefore before the Lord to not to strive about words no profit to the ruin of their hearers. Paul would say, Timothy, you've got to keep reminding the church, don't fuss, don't fight over unimportant things. Maintain a unity that belongs there. And he says to do that, you're going to have to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, we come to verses 2 through 6. And he's going to talk about the circumcision. And Paul's going to talk about real circumcision, not this pretend circumcision that they're facing. Notice with me now, verse, beginning with verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now notice these terms that he uses to describe them. You may think he is talking about the animals, but no, he's saying, beware of dogs. Beware of these evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. When we think of dogs today, you think of the little pets we have at home, the cute little animals with the uh, fluffy hairdos and things such as that, or, or your uh, hunting dog. But in the first century, dogs were not looked at there like they are today. They were thought of as vicious animals. They went about in packs. They would often attack people. They were scavengers. They ate the dead animals. And because of that, they were just considered unclean. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 20 or 43, So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you have come out or come to me with sticks? Why would you have a stick? Because the dog would be there and you're going to beat the dog off. You're going to try to get rid of him. 
in 2 Kings 8 and verse 13. So Hazel said, well, what is your servant, a dog, that he should do such a gross thing? You see, dogs would go about and eat any old scavenger, as a scavenger, any old animal that was on the side of the road, regardless how putrid. Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and tear you to pieces. He's not just talking about the pigs trampling the jewels underfoot. He's talking about the dogs as well. They have no perception of their value. And they are vicious. And the passage that perhaps draws all of us to a little bit of disgust is found in 2 Peter 2, 22. But it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. You remember I said he ate anything. And here Paul is calling them dogs. Why? Because the Jews looked at the Gentiles and called them dogs. When in reality, Paul says the real dogs are these Jewish people. These Judaizing teachers. Beware of those dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Now, I could go in a long discussion about people who work evil. But I'd suggest to you that the same kinds that Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13 when he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. These evil workers are people who are wanting you to believe that they're doing a good thing. And then he refers to them as the mutilation. If you're reading the original King James or the American Standard, you'll see the word concision there, which means mutilation. One thing you may not know is that the words for circumcision and mutilation are parallel words. They are what Paul is doing is using a play on words here to talk about them. Now, while circumcision was enjoined upon them, it was commanded, the cutting of the flesh was forbidden. Listen to Leviticus 21 and verse 5. They shall not make any ball place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make cuttings in their flesh. You see, there were, were people who were ritually cutting themselves. They did that. On Mount Carmel, when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, they had made their circumcision nothing more than a religious ritual cutting. I was circumcised the eighth day. I wear this as a badge that I am one of the blessed people. And Paul says, no, you've really become a mutilator. You've become a cutter. What is the real value of circumcision then? Paul is going to move away from those people who are only about the cutting of the flesh to a spiritual sense. Now, Paul, when writing to the Romans in chapter 2, verses 25 through chapter 3 and verse 2, addresses this subject perfectly. 
In fact, he explains it so well that it doesn't need a commentary. For circumcision indeed is profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you also, or judge you, even without your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Now here's the key verse, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage then has a Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly, because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul is saying, okay, who is a real Jew? Who is a real circumcised? You go back to what he said in Philippians 3. He said, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians seven nineteen, Paul says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. You, these people who are all about the cutting of the flesh, they don't understand the important thing is doing what God has said to do. In Galatians 5, verse 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say that if you are become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You see, you contrast those who have the confidence in the flesh Versus the Spirit of God. Paul could have that confidence. But he chose not to. Because the spiritual things were always better than the physical. You remember as I began asking those questions? They're relevant. The spiritual things are always more valuable. Which brings me to the third part. And I want you to look with me at verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but from that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul weighed everything. He says, okay, what's things worth? What's the value of this? What's the value of that? I've got to make a decision in life. And he says, what things were gained to me? 
Let me ask you a question. What things are important? What things are valuable to you? Paul says, I look at them and he says, I count them for loss. He says, I count them as but rubbish. The original word there for rubbish is the same word which describes human excrement, dung. He says, that's the way I look at them. He says, all of that I am willing to say I throw it away. I push it away from me so that I can have the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord that I may gain Christ. You see, I can't hold on to all these things and hold on to the Lord. I've got to choose. I've got to figure out what's the most valuable thing in my life. Well, what would go with gaining Christ? Paul says that I may know Him. There's some people that I know their face, I know their acquaintance. When I meet them, I recognize them. But I really don't know them. And there's some people that I believe I've known them so long and so well that if you were to ask them a question... I could give you their answer and pretty well be accurate. There's some people who know who Jesus Christ is, but they don't know really the way he thinks, what decisions he would make. He says, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power that raised Jesus from the dead. But he says to do that, I must have the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There are some things that go with this. Some of them not pleasant. But you know, if, if you really want something and it's worth it, you're willing to take the difficult things with it. In fact, anything worth having is worth sacrifice. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Jesus in Matthew 13 began speaking in parables. And he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. Stop with me at that point. He, because he has such joy over it, will sell everything he's got. Now, how many people are willing to give up everything? That's the point Jesus is trying to make. You see the value of it. Then he says, and again, a kingdom's like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he has found the one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think that's applicable here to Philippians chapter 3. People who are willing to give it all, sacrifice it all. The church at Philippi needed to realize where real joy was found. It's very easy to get caught up in this world and its system of valuation, but Paul said, no, not me. In fact, one can find real joy when he learns the value of right things. Some people have pursued worldly things, and then as they get to the end of their life, they realize, what do I have? 
What am I going to leave my children? There's no greater treasure than to just be a Christian. If you'll open your song book, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. And I want to reassure you, those of you who have perhaps been thinking about becoming a Christian, the grand glory of the value of being a Christian, that peace of, that will pass all understanding, this kind of joy that no one can take from you, a real joy, If you've not done that, you come forward this morning. You confess your faith in Christ, repenting of your sins. We'll baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and you are walking with the Lord, God bless you. Keep on doing that. But if you're a Christian and your life has begun to reflect something that's not good and not right, why not come back and ask God to bless you? Don't lose your reward. Would you come as we stand and sing?